This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. There's the former Governor General at 12 noon yesterday. And early on, right away, he lets us know there isn't going to be a special inquiry. Why? Well, one of the first lines he said, democracy is built on trust. There was a news conference featuring David Johnston. Um, You think sometimes I can ramble? I got nothing on David Johnson. uh, The goal was to keep it on track, keep the train on track. That lasted a few minutes, and then it didn't. 55 pages and one act, one suggestion, one recommendation would have at least brought back an element of saying, you know what? The system still works. Canada's system is not broken. We're not sure if it's the people. We're not sure if it's the institutions. But there's a man of integrity and honor and that cannot be countenanced and he cannot be swayed and he will be objective and he will be independent and he will give us back an element of trusting the system. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. Now, there were conclusions yesterday. I heard him say it about foreign governments. Hey, foreign governments are trying to influence Voters in Canada, they're trying to influence candidates. They're doing those things. Understandably so. I mean, what's your definition of influence? Barack Obama recommended, endorsed Justin Trudeau in 2015 and 2019. He did it as his presidency was ending. He did it when his presidency was in his seventh term or seventh year. And he did it long after he left the White House. And when Donald Trump had been president for close to three years, he suggested recent media reports were misconstrued. There is in context. What never gets said is which ones? What's wrong with the context? There are inaccuracies. Great. I'm so glad you pointed that out. Where? Who? Your basic journalism school questions. Ask how, when, where, who? And they never get said. Never, ever, never, right? There were inaccuracies about the reporting about Han Dong. There were inaccuracies about the reporting that there was more than one MP perhaps compromised in the 2021 election. There was all of that. And then the takeaway is the big one for me, and I'll get to that in just a second, but I want you to hear David Johnston, in his own words, explain the five things, and we'll cut this into two parts, the five things that he determined after going through all the evidence and all the suggestion. Here he is from yesterday. Based on my review, I have reached five clear conclusions. First, foreign governments are undoubtedly attempting to influence candidates and voters in Canada. Foreign interference is a real and growing threat, and more remains to be done promptly to strengthen our capacity to detect, deter, and counter foreign interference in elections. Second, when viewed in full context with all of the relevant intelligence, several leaked materials that raised legitimate questions turn out to have been misconstrued in some media reporting, presumably because of the lack of this context. Third, I have identified serious shortcomings in the way intelligence is communicated and processed from security agencies through to government. Fourth, a further public process is required, but there should not and need not be a separate formal 
public inquiry. A public inquiry examining the leaked materials could not be undertaken in public, given the sensitivity of the intelligence. Okay, and some of that has validity, and some of it simply does not. So I think when you combine the concept of pushing, you know, in essence, that's not a word salad per se. Those are points that are well-structured. He's reading from a script right there. Remember our last election, 62.3% of people turned out. Like people were engaged in the last election and we did it during a pandemic. We got in essence the same result in 2021 that we did in 2019. What was different? That Green Party leader different. Okay. Conservative leader was Aaron O'Toole and not Andrew Scheer. Okay. The seats were 119 before and they stayed at 119 exactly. Slight dip in terms of overall percentage. I couldn't predict what the next election is going to be. Here's what I know. Yesterday is more a bad day for democracy than a good day for democracy. There has to be the concept of a reasonable, a reasonable concept of non-biasness. If you accuse me of doing something untoward, anything untoward, and if I'm in an administrative position, I'm not talking about a criminal offense here, but if you accuse me of doing something and I get to choose, I get to choose. Now, should I? Probably not. I get to choose Who's going to go through all the evidence and they will determine what I did and didn't do, how right I was, how wrong I was. Here's what I cannot do. Here's what I can't do because you'll judge me based on this. I'm damned if I do. I'm damned if I don't. And I've put someone else in a bad position. I can't choose a friend of my dad's. That's like that. I cannot do that. I don't care what kind of career he's had. What kind of integrity you think, and I think he has. I cannot put him in that position. David Johnson will be remembered for yesterday. David Johnson will be remembered because yesterday demonstrated a lack of integrity. I'm sorry, but it did. And if you refuse that job in the first place, nobody has to wonder if there's going to be a day that comes around when you're already into your 80s that you just should have said no, that you should have said no. You're compromised. You're too close to the family. There's all of that. He goes on and makes this further recommendation, but I don't think the public's going to have any appetite for what he suggests should happen next. Finally, I recognize this report's conclusions would be met with skepticism by some, especially by those who in good faith have worked to raise legitimate questions around these issues. The challenge is this. What has allowed me to determine whether there has in fact been interference cannot be disclosed publicly. A public review of classified intelligence simply cannot be done. Therefore, fifth, I recommend the Prime Minister invite the two oversight committees on national security, NSICOP and INSIRA, to review my conclusions and provide them with all supporting materials. And most people will be out on that concept. We will move along. Every step of the way, we were following this this story. And many Canadians were not, per se. But I know that the ones that were following it probably are going to drop off the trail now. Did our best. Not going to be an inquiry. I've got things to do. I've got concerns of my own. I've got rent to pay. I've got a job to find. I've got kids going to university. I'm getting married. I need to put food on the table. I can't afford my mortgage anymore. You won't be able to get that same kind of substance there. 
And I go back to an interview a few years ago with Robert Fife and David Johnston. And Robert Fife was doing a little more TV back then, he of the Globe and Mail. And David Johnston laid out the closeness to the Trudeau family. You, in fact, were a very good friend of Pierre Elliott Trudeau and that your family, uh, you knew all the Trudeau kids when they were growing up. His three boys were the same age as our five daughters, so we were uh, kind of a ski party from time to time at Mont Tremblant where we have a, a place and would ski on weekends. So we got to know the, the, the children and our friendship, our relationship was really built out of uh, childhood exchanges. Okay, you're just too close to that particular situation. And what I also see from just paging through the report, I'm not going to tell you I read all 55 pages of it, but I read several to note that honestly, honestly, this is not a supportable re response from David Johnston. The idea that he's absolved of, Trudeau's absolved of responsibility because no one told him what to do at a given time and no one told him when to do it. You run a country. You run an important country at that on the world scene. You're not a university undergrad given a task that's too much for you. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Jugmeet Singh was on the show uh, a few weeks ago, maybe five weeks ago, and we talked to him about election interference and a couple other issues as well. Healthcare, inflation. Um, but we wanted to isolate his reaction to David Johnston's findings. And he joins us now, the leader of the NDP on Toronto Today. I know it's uh, I know it's something that a lot of Canadians just felt um, had, a, had a visceral reaction to around noon our time, nine Pacific yesterday. How did you view it? Well, in some ways, it was it was important to hear some of the findings that pointed out there was a breakdown in communication between CSIS and the government. That's something that needs to be fixed and that the government was aware of red flags or concerns, for example, in the nomination of of uh handong mm. but despite those red flags they didn't do anything about it because CSIS didn't give them any action items i think it's irresponsible though governments should take action even if they're not given action items so those are very important findings but i disagree with the former governor general mr johnson on not declaring or calling a public inquiry i believe we need one to clear the air to address the concerns that are out there that the rigor of a public inquiry its independence and its ability to call witnesses to have witnesses make an affirmation or a solemn oath and to have multiple questions be asked of these witnesses would give more confidence to canadians in our in our electoral system overstatement to say if johnson had called an, an inquiry it's a good day for democracy the fact that he didn't it's a bad day it, there's always gray area but but i know that there you mentioned you were disappointed. Every opposition leader yes. has echoed the same sentiment, saying they're just maybe for very different reasons, but that they're disappointed by the findings. I, I was certainly disappointed that the public inquiry wasn't called for. I think it's absolutely necessary. It could have been, it could have been called for, and it would have been amazing. But, but it, um, it was, it was a bad decision, and uh, I think it is definitely something bad for democracy. Jagmeet Singh is our guest on Toronto today on six forty Toronto. One of the claims, my eyebrows perked up a little bit, I think others did too, was the idea that, well, we can't call a public inquiry because we can't look at classified materials in public. And there's probably some classified materials that you can't, but couldn't I make the case we just did that with the Emergencies Act? Of course, there would be sensitive security information, and a lot of it was laid out in the Emergencies Act. Um, I, I think we've done that many times without compromising the future of our intelligence. What, did, what That claim right away is something David Johnson could have said three months ago, and then we don't go through the process. 
Oh, absolutely. And I've made that example. I said, we have a template. We have a template where we did exactly that. We looked at very sensitive information. An independent judge made a very appropriate determination where that information was, was going to risk national security and it was not disclosed. And other information was made public. That is exactly what we could do. That's why a public inquiry could work. We have the Rulo Commission and that work that was done as an example of how to do it correctly. And I point to the Rulo Commission because except for maybe the most extreme fringes, most Canadians saw that process and thought that was reasonable. We, we can see where the questions are going. Multiple ministers, including the prime minister, were asked questions by various lawyers. And at the end of it, we are satisfied that there was a thorough examination of the decision around calling the Emergencies Act. That is a process that I want to see replicated when it comes to foreign interference to give Canadians that same level of confidence. Jagmeet Singh, our guest on Toronto Today. You brought it up, and I was going to bring it up with you, is just the, the trust and faith, not just in our politicians, because um, we'll all we'll all have our favorites and non-favorites, and at the same time, but our institutions really matter. I mean, it's the people that end up changing and tweaking the institutions and and i feel it and you feel it you know how high you score on on uh, on certain surveys people see you as an approachable person a trustworthy person a person they'd like to be their neighbor or have a beer with you know where those numbers come from and at the same time i'm sure people come to you and says you see this is why i don't vote you see this is why i'm not that into politics like we all hear these things Absolutely. And, and that's really a problem to me because it's not about me individually or even about my party. For me, it really is. I want to see more people vote. There is a power and strength when people come out and turn out to vote. It's a part of the reason why I want to change the electoral system to make it more representative of people's votes. It's another matter for another day, but something like proportional representation. But the reason why I care about these things is because I truly believe if we can have more people participate in democracy, it is better for the country. It's better for the community. It's better for people. And and these type of things, allegations of foreign interference, while I accept the evidence that it didn't it didn't shape the outcome of the election, it certainly had some impacts on nomination meetings. And we don't know how far it went. We don't know the full extent of it. Those are some of the questions we need answered. People need to know that we are taking steps to safeguard our democracy so that we can preserve the faith in the institution. We don't want to devolve into what happens in the states where people question the outcome of an election and say, we don't know if the outcome is even true or not. That is a that is a scary thing that might happen. And the way we can prevent that is by maintaining the utmost confidence in our electoral system, in the institution. And we have to take it very seriously when there's any sort of challenge to that, any sort of threat to that. And the more bigger we have with protecting it, the more confidence we can restore in Canadians. Are you disappointed in David Johnston? And I ask that because, um, you know, again, Justin Trudeau could have selected anybody, but he selected somebody that was on the Trudeau Foundation, somebody he knew when he was a little boy who had who had influence in government. So the concept there is, well, of course, there will be um, objectivity because think of the optics and think of the look if it's perceived that there isn't. But, you know, that criticism is out there over the last 24 hours. Yeah, and this is one of the things I said. I actually have come out and I maintain that I believe Mr. Johnson is someone that is a trustworthy, trustworthy credible person. But it's it's something I learned in law school. It's not always whether it's true or not. It's often the the optics or the reasonable apprehension of a bias. Mm -hmm. It's not whether there is truly a bias, but it's whether one could have an apprehension or or believe that there's a potential of a bias. And and that is an optic that that is that could erode the work that's being done. And I've said I trust the Mr. Johnson to do his work. But why I've been calling for a public inquiry is because it creates an independent space 
where any of those questions that are raised by other folks will be addressed by the independence and the transparency of that process. And that would restore that confidence for people who have raised those questions about the optics, something that I've not personally raised as a concern individually um, on a personal level, but I do see that people have raised this concern. It was, uh, it came up in the press conference. Many questions were raised about that. And I think without a public inquiry to provide that separate, independent, transparent process, those questions remain out there and it has the potential to erode the work that Mr. Johnson is doing. Last thing I know you'll get hit with this, so I'll ask about it. This is where some of, of the critics of the you know supply and confidence agreement come around and say, this is the perfect time to reassess this. This is a time to to take a stand here to tear this up. I know the good that that you that you believe and and your party believes the the um, the, the agreement has been doing. We've talked about the dental work. We've talked about the healthcare. We've talked about many of these things that you were worried the liberal government wouldn't supply without the agreement. Is there sort of a balancing act here? Like there there must be caucus members um, that you have incredibly frustrated by by w- what they heard today and what they saw. Well, we, we've we've been frustrated with the Liberal government on a number of fronts. And and it's one of those things where we are we are forcing a government that has opposed us, has opposed something like the dental care program in the past, mm-hmm. has opposed the initiatives that we've called for, like pharmacare, and and we are forcing them to do things that they are opposed to. So we we don't agree on a lot of things, but we're able to use the power we have in a minority government to get them to do things they wouldn't otherwise do. And while we've not, the, today's not the day we're making any decision around yeah. the confidence agreement, we're we going to continue to push for the public inquiry because we believe it's important. And and that's something we're going to remain resolute on. We're going to continue to find uh, different ways to continue to advance it and to push it forward. Out of curiosity, what opens it up? W- what would have to happen? What is the, not not what would make you want to do it. What's the process to actually do it? I know you review it from uh, um, every few months or so. What would, what would change that? Well, uh, one of the concrete things would be if if they break any of the terms of the agreement, if they if they don't mm-hmm. fulfill something that they promised to do. So, if our dental care program should be done by the end of this year, the money's already allocated in the budget, and seniors should be able to get their teeth looked after by the end of this year. If that's not achieved, if seniors can't go in and get their teeth looked after by the end of this year, then that would be a breach of the agreement, and then we'd have to then we'd have to take a serious look at it. Jagmeet Singh, thanks so much for uh, for making the time. I, I know uh, you went to uh, exhausting lengths to do so, but I appreciate you doing it. I think people in Toronto want to hear your voice on this um, on this important issue. Thanks for making the time for our show. My pleasure. Thank you. There's Jagmeet Singh weighing in. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. We had a provincial election last year where we really only had the one debate. It was, you know, about Doug Ford's binder and Mike Schreiner showed well. And our next guest was one of the uh, co-moderators along with the Toronto Stars, uh, Althea Raj, and he joins us now. He is Steve Pakin. Can you imagine moderating three debates in a day, let alone participating in them? Like last year, you were probably like, that's it. I'd like to retire from all debates. You probably thought that. No, I definitely did not think that. And good morning to you, too. <laughs> we only had that one moment. And Doug Ford's binder, um, I won't say it came up a few times literally, but the other candidates did note that he had notes. And he's like, people don't care about notes. They care about jobs, that kind of thing. Well, it worked out well for him, didn't it? It did. It did. So Bonnie Crombie's out there yesterday, um, and it was Bonnie Crombie Day. You chatted with her. I chatted with her pretty much uh 
everybody that wanted an interview got a, a chance with Bonnie Crombie. She told you something that she told us. I want you to take a listen because she had the same sentiment on uh, on her chat with uh, with you that, that we heard yesterday. Here it is. I am absolutely a centrist. I have some strong business experience before entering politics. As I've mentioned, I have a tight fiscal grasp um, on the city of Mississauga. I think our policies went much too far. Uh, for my comfort level, I would manage from the centre, possibly even the centre-right, uh, and that's where I would expect to develop my platform after listening to the people of the province. Was that surprising to you, Steve, that she described how she'd managed uh, from the centre-right? Absolutely, yes. And uh, I, I, I certainly know my eyebrows went up when I heard her say that. That is definitely new policy for the Ontario Liberal Party, if it turns out to be that way. And parenthetically, Greg, uh, we, we should say, you know, I think I was the 23rd interview she did yesterday, <laughs> right? Because we're, we're not on until 8 o'clock at night, and we, and we taped it late in the day. And uh, you're right. She was all over radio, all over television, all over newspapering, all over online. And in terms of making a, you know, if you wanted to make a splash, if you wanted to say, you know, I have been on the sidelines uh, while everybody else has been out campaigning and thinking about raising money and signing up members and all of that, if you wanted to make a splash, holy smokes, that was a pretty good day one splash that she made. And she's you know, all over the, all over everything today. So there, there aren't going to be too many people who don't know that she's considering getting into this race. And if she does get in, it will certainly liven it up because uh, mm-hmm. even though she's, well, let's face it, she, she would be getting in late and organizationally she would be behind the other campaigns, but she would also be the biggest name in the campaign. So it would certainly shake up the race a bit. How difficult would it be? She mentioned I've, I'd have another nine months as mayor. I mean, it was live radio, so she might have miscalculated. They'll, they'll name the leader on December 3rd. But that's especially with what Mississauga is going to do. I know you had Mayor Patrick Brown in studio from Brampton last week on, on the agenda. Um, there's a ton. To, this is this is not going to be your normal next six months to be the mayor of a burgeoning city like Mississauga. These are a critical six months. I don't know how she gets out and, and sort of spreads her wings across a province of 15 million people and connects while handling something so sensitive. Mind you, I take her point that at this stage of the game, in some respects, the work of the leaders of those cities, and I'm talking Mississauga, Brampton and Caledon, that work in many respects is now done. I mean, they have been lobbying for years on status quo for Peel, separating from Peel, something different for Peel, and the premier has now made his decision. And I know she made this point uh, to me in, in our interview last night, and maybe she made it with you as well. Uh, you know, that lobbying is done. It's in the hands of the lawyers now, and they're going to spend the next two and a half years basically negotiating as to who gets what, who owes whom what, and all of that. So I... I you know, the next the next seven months, ironically enough, might be the best time for her to explore whether or not there are any other opportunities for her in public life. And I mm. note, and she noted last night, uh, you know, n- nobody else is quitting to run for liberal leader. You know, there's one man, there's two members of parliament mm. who are still hanging on to their jobs to run for Ontario liberal leader. And, and so this is hardly what you call unprecedented. And Patrick Brown, when he was running for the federal conservative party leader, he did not uh, quit as mayor of Brampton either. So this appears to be the new normal. Would you see this um, as a two-person race between Nate Erskine-Smith and Bonnie Crombie right now? Oh, no. I, I Way too early to make that kind of mm-hmm. handicapping. I mean, Yasser Nackby's been around po- provincial politics for a decade and a half, and, and uh, you know, I certainly wouldn't want to count him out of anything yet. Uh, now, the two rookie MPPs who are at Queen's Park, Adel Shamji and Stephanie Bowman, uh, you know, they've got a, certainly a much bigger job to do as newbies in the Ontario Liberal Caucus to get their names out there, and get their organizations built, but way too early to be handicapping anything, I'd say. 
Do you buy, Robert Benzi uh, noted, he talked to some Ford insiders who said, yeah, we're a little worried about Bonnie, and that's the first I've seen. But I've also seen some brilliant strategy uh, and deflection and sort of look over here from many governments, but but the Ford government's no exception. I, I do wonder, do they like the idea of going in against Bonnie Crombie and, and Marit Stiles for a 2026 election? They've got a lot. They can give a lot of seats back and still have a majority government. That's true. And and I guess there's two ways of looking at it. On the one hand, it, you know, if Crombie were to become the leader, she automatically makes the Liberal Party, one assumes, more competitive than they have been in the last two elections. And there's mm-hmm. nothing that progressive conservatives love more than a split opposition. I mean, this was the genius of the Tory party for 42 straight years from 1943 to 1985 that allowed them to stay in power. A very evenly split opposition is great for progressive conservatives in government. But let me throw another idea into the mix here. I think Bonnie Crombie's or whoever becomes the next leader of the Ontario Liberals, their potential success depends very much on whether or not Justin Trudeau is still prime minister of the country. Yeah. And the fact is that if he is and if, if the federal scene goes to the polls before the Ontario scene, if Justin Trudeau is still there, uh, I don't say this with uh, any intention of being disparaging, but the fact of the matter is he's getting elected with the lowest percentage of the total vote in Canadian history. And if he's still there, it doesn't really change the dynamic at Queen's Park at all. And if, if he loses and the federal conservatives are to come in, that does change the dynamic and it opens up a whole range of new possibilities. Oh, you make a no. It's a phenomenal point. And and I, I've said this. I, I think the Liberal Party in Ontario needs, you know, right in sports parlance. This is a true rebuild. They're a, they're a two and 15 NFL team right now. So they, <laughs> they, they honestly should be taking chances. They should be making every phone call imaginable. Selena Cesar Chavan is running for mayor of Toronto. She's probably not mm-hmm. going to become mayor of Toronto. But if I'm Nader Smith, if I'm Bonnie Crombie, I, I, I want to bring her into the fold. I want to bring, see if Anna Bailau is interested. I want, I want as many sort of known MPP potential candidates as I can get. They didn't have that last time out in the last election. There wasn't a lot of star power, name power. People like you and I are clamoring like, oh, I hope I can get an interview with that potential liberal MPP. There wasn't much of that last year. No, and, and I think you've made a point that's absolutely spot on. This is a party that is I mean, at one point in our interview last night, I asked uh, Mayor Crombie, why would you want this job? <laughs> and, and the fact of the matter is, it's really a double-edged sword. It's the worst job in politics, maybe in the country today. I mean, let's face it, two third-place finishes in a row for the Ontario Liberals, that's never happened in 156 years of Ontario political history. I mean, this is a party, it's a penny stock right now. On the other hand, with the right person at the helm, with the right ability to raise money and the right ability to put some new policy in the window and the right ability to attract candidates, you know, it, it could be a real, and, and again, if Justin Trudeau is no longer prime minister, it's a real potential turnaround uh, vehicle. So, you know what, mm. on the one hand, <laughs> on the one hand, you, you better have a lot of energy because this is one heck of, you're right, this is a two and 15 NFL team right now. <laughs> they look just awful. But on the other hand, you know, I, we've seen two and 15 teams become Super Bowl champions, and it doesn't take more than a year or two to make it happen. There are crazier things that do happen in politics. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. And, and if you uh, draft well, sign well, and uh, and you can get out of the uh, out of the doldrums. Steve, we'll be watching tonight. Love having you on and, and love having your analysis as well on this. Thanks so much.
Always great to chat with you. Thanks, Greg. Steve Bacon uh, from The Agenda TVO uh, airs at 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock. It's, it's the same show at 11, but that's okay. That's okay. Watch it at 8 or 11 if you miss it at 8. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Our next guest, of course, you know, we're going to cover two main issues with him because he's obviously federal MP for Beaches East York, but he's also running for the Ontario Liberal leadership. Uh, he is Nathaniel Erskine-Smith. It's great to have you back on. Thanks very much for making the time. Yeah, of course. Always happy to be here. We'll uh, we'll start with uh, the the announcement from David Johnson yesterday. You would have uh, watched it at twelve noon, like the rest of us. What was your reaction to what he delivered? It's interesting because I, I always lean more in favor of a public inquiry. I appreciated what he said about the fact that there are so many national security matters at issue that a full public inquiry isn't warranted. I do think trust is everything in our democracy. I'm already concerned that the opposition parties immediately came forward and said this isn't good enough, and we need greater consensus when it comes to protecting our elections and, and believing in the fairness of our elections. Even Jagmeet Singh said yesterday, I think, that you know if we had an election tomorrow, people wouldn't necessarily trust. And I think that's all really corrosive to our democracy and to trust. So I, I'm a little bit worried that there wasn't a clear path, maybe not for a full public inquiry, if... if National security matters are, are at issue, but some kind of independent additional process to rebuild some trust and get the other parties back on side. I think you're right. I think I think why people don't vote is they they think they know who will win already or they don't necessarily love the candidates. But we have never, Nate, added that third layer in to me in, in Canada or, you know, a little more of a micro lens Ontario and said, well, I, I, I know I can't trust the process. We've never really said that. It's usually only been the first two. That is concerning to potentially add that third layer in there. There's no question. I mean, I'm even concerned that people don't trust in politicians and trust in politics enough to participate. I think it's deeply problematic if people don't trust politicians to keep their word. It's deeply problematic if people don't participate because they think we're all the same. But it's especially problematic, as you just said, if we get to that third layer and people don't trust in the process at all. They think it's rigged. They think that there's interference. And people should know, and, and I can't state this clearly enough, on all of the evidence that is out there, our elections have integrity. Every election we've had that has been analyzed by third parties and security agencies has said our elections have integrity. Of course, at the same time, we should take all threats and interference, even attempted interference, seriously. And I think that's where the trust needs to come in. We need to work collaboratively with other parties. And if, as I say, if not a full-blown public inquiry, we're still left now with a, a partisan fight on an issue that is too important for a partisan fight. Yeah. And, and, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, partisan fights get in the way of, of doing the actual work of governing with real important, you know, everyday 365, 24-7 issues on the table for, for families in Canada. They, they're, they're all yeah, over the place. Many, yeah, there are too many important issues for us to be undermining the confidence in, in what are incredibly trusted elections otherwise. Nate Erskine Smith, our guest on Toronto Today. All right, your, uh, your hat's in the ring. Put it in the ring officially a couple weeks ago for the Ontario Liberal leadership. I'll ask you this first before I ask about uh, yesterday and, and uh, Ms. Crombie entering the race, is you're connecting with a lot of younger people. Younger people and, and head of young liberal organizations are endorsing you for leader. You're clearly making that, that connection. And we think, ah, 20-year-olds, 22-year-olds, they have so much invested in this. They've got decades to, to continue voting in, in elections. That must mean something that you're connecting with younger voters. It's been the key to our success in many ways here in the East End of Toronto. And if we can build that same kind of team and, and that same kind of support all across the province, I think we're going to be really successful. And it's about 
delivering on ideas that matter to young people from housing, housing, housing to climate change to just economic opportunities. It is about ensuring that you are including them in the process. And that's about how we practice politics, which, you know, we, we talk about sort of the trust in politics. Look, young people, you can blame apathy on people who don't go to the polls. But at the end of the day, young people overwhelmingly participate in civil society organizations to make a difference. They overwhelmingly care about issues that matter and they don't see politics as a vehicle to make a difference. And people in my shoes have to make sure that they do see it that way and that we articulate a really positive vision about the possibility of politics. Well, think about when you were doing other jobs before politics, think about the the lack of time you had to to know politics. Like, I think most of us look and we say we had more time when we were in university and it was getting fed to us every day and we were leaning on professors and going to lectures and going to see guest speakers. We had the time. We weren't married yet. No kids like like we were able to. I think I, I took a look at myself even five years ago and said I was more engaged in this tw- when I was at 22 than I was at 42. And that worried me a little bit. But that's where young people are usually at. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I go into classrooms pretty regularly uh, especially before the pandemic, but starting to again. And I'll ask people to put up their hand. Do you care about politics? And almost no one puts up their hand at first. But then you say, well, do you care about housing affordability? Everyone shows up their hand. Do you care about making sure all your classmates have enough food to come to school and, and to study right, not worry about their mental health and, and food security? And everyone puts up their hand. Do you, do you care about delivering better public transit so you're not crammed into buses uncomfortably with so many other people? Everyone puts up their hand. It's all politics. And the more that you connect politics and the political process to the issues that matter to them, the more they see politics not as a fight in the House of Commons and people smearing one another and attacking each other, but as a way of us all coming together to solve collective action problems. Nathaniel Erskine Smith, our guest on Toronto Today with Greg Brady, 640 Toronto. All right, Bonnie Crombie um, is uh, wanting to do what you want to do, be the Ontario Liberal leader. She was on our show yesterday. I wanted to give you a chance to respond to this. I am absolutely a centrist. I have some strong business experience before entering politics. As I've mentioned, I have a tight fiscal grasp um, on the city of Mississauga. I think our policies went much too far. Uh, For my comfort level, I would manage from the centre, possibly even the centre-right, and that's where I would expect to develop my platform after listening to the people of the province. All right, she told a lot of people that, um, Nate, that the the idea is the Ontario Liberal Party moving in to the center-right, what's your reaction to those comments? I am not leaving a progressive federal liberal party to protect an unambitious status quo. So if I leave the Ontario Liberals, we are not going to govern from the center-right. I'm not going to suggest affordable child care is too far left or block housing from being built. Obviously, we're going to have a strong economic agenda focused on productivity and people's lives. Housing is a good example. It's not only a fairness challenge, it's also an economic productivity challenge. You look at climate action. It's not only about protecting the planet for our kids. It's also about good jobs today. But when I hear that investments in health and investments in childcare are too far left, I also wonder, is reducing poverty and helping people in the greatest need too far left? Is saving lives in the opioid crisis too far left? And, you know, of course, any social progress, I'm a liberal, any social progress needs to be on a firm and fiscally sustainable footing for it to be lasting progress. Of course, we need a strong economic agenda that includes childcare, by the way, but we don't need a center-right government. We already have one, Greg. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what, what, what party do we want to run for? Here? Well, there are, as you know, there are strong, dyed-in-the-wool, uh, raised by conservatives, conservatives who don't think Doug Ford is conservative enough. They already think that somehow. 
Yes, many. Many. <laughs> My wife's family is from small town southwestern Ontario, and they, I mean, Doug Ford's seen as a buffoon, but he's not seen as a hard right, you know, the kind of politician we see in the United States and the politician we see in Alberta sometimes. If anything, we lost the election because people shrugged in June and said, ah, Doug Ford, he's not as bad as I thought he was going to be. And we have to deliver a really ambitious agenda. Yes, fiscally sustainable. Yes. We can't cede an economic agenda to conservatives. We can't cede, by the way, compassion to the NDP. And in everything we do, we have to act with honesty and with integrity. And there are too many, too many important issues at stake. And, and look, we all have track records. I'm going to run on a track record of delivering at the federal level. I'm going to run on a track record of doing politics differently and bringing new people into the party. But I'm, I'm not going to run on a, on a center-right commitment, and I'm not going to run on a track record of failing to build housing. I got about 90 seconds, but w- yesterday, um, take us a little bit behind the curtain if you can. You're going to hear from people. You're going to hear from people probably that, that say, hey, I'm still with you or, hey, ah, I'm wavering here. Like that's that's one of those. This could go back to we all experience this at student council. We're like, oh, you're you're running actual. OK, I'm going to switch my vote. And I'm going to vote for you. I told somebody else I'd vote for them. What is that day like yesterday for you as a candidate? I mean, politics is a fickle business. So you go into it eyes wide open in that way. But I would say I've known that she was interested, likely running. I mean, even yesterday, on Sunday, they put up a website to launch the campaign and took it down, and then an exploratory website went up. So, I mean, it's pretty obvious for a number of weeks now that she was planning to run. And so there were a couple of people that I had conversations with, and they were like, oh, you know, I've got a relationship. But overwhelmingly, when you look across the province and the team we've built, we've got a really strong team in northern Ontario. That doesn't change at all. We've got a really strong team in southwestern Ontario. That doesn't change at all. Is it going to be a, a, an incredible competition in Peel? I think that's right. But there are 124 ridings across this province, and this campaign isn't going to be one in Peel. Nate Erskine-Smith, our guest on Toronto Today. Thanks so much for the time. We'll talk uh, real soon. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Nader Skinsmith Beaches, East York MP, and he's running for the Ontario Liberal leadership. This could be quite a race. Really could be. But uh, firm ground right there saying there's somebody who isn't going to govern from the center right. Again, the comment wasn't alarming and it wasn't an accident either. So I'm I'm trying to figure out there has to be a win. They the Crombie team must feel like there's a win somewhere in terms of saying that.